Good morning once again, everybody, and welcome to Harvest Point. Last week, we ended our sermon with a question, and the question was this. It was kind of a challenge, and it was to ask yourself before you make any purchases this past week, do I really need this, and if not, why do I want this? Did that stop anybody from buying anything on impulse? No? Okay, that's all right. It's a thought that counts, right? Do I really need this? And if not, why do I want this? That was the challenge last week, to be a conscious consumer, to really think about how we're using our money every day in our world. And this week, I want to begin the sermon with a question. And that question is this, that if you could ask God for anything, knowing with 100% certainty that he would give it to you, what would you ask for? Think about that. If you could ask God for anything knowing with 100% certainty that he would give you what you asked for, what would you ask him for? Maybe you would ask for more time in the day so that you can kind of manage your schedule. After fall break, you're looking at the next week thinking, okay, this is going to be crazy. I need some more hours. Maybe you'd ask for more peace in your life. Maybe more comfort. Maybe after last week's conversation in this Live Generously series, and after asking yourself, you know what, do I really need this? Maybe you say, you know what, God, I'd like more money so I don't have to ask that question when I'm purchasing things and I can have a little less stress in my life. There's a lot of different answers to the question, and I know everybody here is probably thinking of something different. But this morning, what I want to talk with you about is the answer that Solomon gave to God when God asked him this very question. In 1 Kings chapter 3, God goes to Solomon in a dream and he says this. He says, ask for whatever you want and I will give it to you. And in response, Solomon said this. He was a very young and a very new king and he said, Lord, give me a discerning heart. Give me, as some translations put it, an understanding heart. And the Proverbs call an understanding heart and a discerning heart a wise heart. And so ultimately what we see is that Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom. And the Lord gave it to him. And the Lord was very pleased with his request. And then later in Proverbs we find this. We find that getting wisdom is the wisest thing that we can do. And now when I think about this question, what would I ask for? Wisdom is not the first thing that comes to my mind. I'm not that holy, even though some of you might think I am. I I didn't think of wisdom immediately. But the more I think about it, the more I think, you know what? Wisdom is a great thing to ask God for. Because in the midst of our crazy schedules, if we had more wisdom on how to manage our time and say yes to certain things and no to other things, well, then things would work out for the better. If we had more wisdom, then our marriages would be stronger. If you had more wisdom, your relationship with your kids would probably be better. If we all had more wisdom, then the chaos and everything going on in our lives would would probably be a lot better for us because we would be living as wise people. And I think it's the same when it comes to living generously. That ultimately what we need isn't more money. What we need is more wisdom. Wisdom in our hearts and in our hands and with our lives regarding how we relate to our money, how we understand our money, and how we spend our money. And there's a a consulting company called Thrivent Financial Services who has worked with thousands of churches, and they've given a one-question poll 
to people and churches all across America, which has helped illustrate this idea that what we, really, we don't really need more money. What we need is more wisdom. And the question they've asked thousands of people is simply this. They've asked people to identify how they currently feel about their financial state. They've simply said, hey, you know what? Identify how you currently feel about your financial state. And as they've asked people this question, there's been a number of answers um, that people could give, but they've boiled it down to five answers. You see, I'm doing my slides from my iPad today, so I'm trying to get this here, but it's frozen up. So, Victor, if you'll go to, to the surviving. And so they, they've boiled down how we feel about our finances with five S's, and they've said some people are at this S, the S of surviving. That when you think about your financial state, this is how you identify. You, you think, you know what, I require financial assistance to get by from my friends, family, maybe social services, but that's where I am. I, I'm surviving right now. And, and that's a number of people in our world. So then they had another S. They went from surviving and they said some people identify as struggling. These are people who say, you know what, I'm struggling to keep up with my day-to-day expenses. These are people who are living paycheck to paycheck and probably have a lot of debt and thinking about how to manage it all and their finances cause a lot of havoc in their lives. And then there's people who would say, you know what, I'm stable. I'm fairly stable, but I'm just making ends meet. And maybe this is you and maybe, you know what, things are okay, but if you had a medical emergency or a car accident, then things would be a little chaotic. And then there are people who said, you know what, I feel secure. I feel secure. I'm able to make ends meet and have some money left over each month. And then there are people who identified with the fifth S, and that is surplus. They say, you know what? I have more than I need for myself and my family. Somebody's laughing at that one, right? They're like, oh, Lord, give me that one. That's what I'm asking for. Surplus. I have more than I need for myself and my family. And this group of people who identify this way is a group that often lives most generously with their finances and with their times and with their lives. And so as you're thinking about that, I thought it would be interesting this morning to take a poll. And so what we're going to do is we're going to stand up and identify with where... No, just kidding. You're not going to stand up. (laughs) Not going to stand up. Because we know money is kind of close to our hearts and a lot of us kind of feel private about money. But I thought we would take an anonymous poll to see where we are as a church on this spectrum and to kind of see where, where you identify. And so if you look in your bulletin, and actually on the screen here, um, we're actually going to have a, a phone number, and we want to invite you right now to pull out your phone and to send a text message to this phone number. You simply put that phone number in the little two column, and you don't have to put the word, you just put the number you identify with. So you just put the number in your phone and then text one, two, three, four, or five, and then I'm going to have the, the results live here on this iPad. And now look, this is a completely anonymous survey. It's not being tracked with your phone number. And so, you know what, if you say, I'm surviving, we're not going to call you and and offer you assistance. If you say, you know what, I'm surplus, you're not going to get a visit this afternoon asking you for a big check or anything like that. Um, This is is just so we can kind of see where we are as a church. And so if you want to take a moment right now, text in where you feel like you are here. I'm going to have the results live here on the iPad. So text in 850-816-3391. Oscar, thank you for this nice music. 
What's happening now is our church Wi-Fi is, is, is struggling a little bit. Okay, you're texting it in? Yeah? Okay, you did it. All right, good job. Okay, the iPad is refreshing here, uh, so we'll need just a minute. But yeah, take a minute. Text where you feel like you are surviving, struggling, stable, secure, or surplus to your... We have my phone right there. To, um, to this number so we can see where we are as a church. My iPad is identifying as number one, struggling right now. So I'm going to switch over to my phone right here. And uh, it's kind of an old iPad, so it, it struggles every once in a while. So let's see. When we bring up here the results. Okay, interesting. Okay, so here when we bring up the results... We tried to put this on the screen, but it wasn't working this morning with the technology. So in our church, 9% of people said they're surviving. That's where they are. 9% of people said surviving. 14% said they were struggling. For stable, 35%. So 35% of people here feel, you know what, things are pretty stable. 27% said, you know what, I feel secure. And um, it looks like about 16% or 18% said they feel like they're in this place of a surplus. So it's just a little interesting thing to think about to see where you are, how you identify with these five S's. And what's really interesting is that when it comes to these five S's, most of us in our minds think that these are based on income brackets. And so we think, you know what, okay, people who are surviving, those are people who are making, you know, less than $35,000 a year. Maybe they're living near the poverty line. You know what, financially, they're, they're really surviving with the amount of income they have. And then we think, okay, you know, the people who said they have a surplus, you know, those are the people who are wearing, you know, nice button-down shirts this morning, and they're people who are driving nice cars, and, you know, they're the ones who make, you know, $100,000 plus a year. A lot of us, we think this is an income-level breakdown, but... You might have realized when you sent in your answer that this isn't an income level breakdown. As Thrivent Financial has done this with thousands of people and actually correlated it with their reported income level, what they've found is that a lot of people who say that they're surviving or struggling actually make over $100,000 a year. And there's a number of people who make less than $35,000 a year who say that they're secure or they have a surplus. Because it's not about how much money they have. The main thing is how they're using their money. How they're relating to their money and whether they're using it wisely or not. And you know this, right? When you think about pro athletes, you see the stories all the time. People who are millionaires and yet they file for bankruptcy and they're struggling and they're just surviving to get by. And so this morning, no matter where you are on the spectrum, if you're more towards the one or you're more towards the five, I think we can all agree that we'd all like to be at the secure or the surplus stage. We'd all like to feel that way about our finances. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look together at the book of Proverbs at some practical wisdom for managing our finances, for looking, saying, God, here's the money we have, here are the resources we have. What is a wise way that we can use it? And for this wisdom, we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. And now when it comes to the book of Proverbs and our finances, what we find is that the wisdom in the book of Proverbs starts with this. And you have fill in the blanks there if you want to fill them out. It starts with first, earning money. 
Now, you might think that's really basic, but right, you have to start with the basics financially. It starts with earning money. And I just want to say this to you this morning. It's okay to earn money. God says to you, it's okay to earn money. And now some of you are thinking, oh, I know it's okay to earn money. I just wish I could earn some money and earn some more money. But others of us over time have internalized this message in church and ways we've interpreted different things we've read. And we've said, you know what? Maybe as a Christian, I'm not supposed to earn money or earn much money. Because we've, we've read things, you know, like the root of all evil is... Yeah, so some of y'all know the verse. In culture, right, it's that money is the root of all evil. And that's kind of in pop culture what gets thrown around. But that's not actually what the verse says. In 1 Timothy 6.10, we find this. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And this is true. That it's not money that's evil. It's an unhealthy relationship with money. It's a love of money. It's when we make money an idol in our lives and we look to it to give us significance, to give us our value, to give us our security and our comfort. It's then that money moves from something good to an idol. And we're expecting it to give us things that it can't give us. And greed and a love of money, as you know, has caused all kinds of evil in this world, in people's personal lives and in our world through injustices. But the Bible says it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. And so what we need to do is we do need to shift away from an unhealthy love of money, but we should see money, as John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, called it, as an excellent gift from God. Money is an excellent gift from God that we can use for good in this world. And now when it comes to money, the Proverbs, and really all the wisdom they give, oftentimes contrast wisdom with foolishness. And so in the Proverbs, we find that the wise thing to do is to actually work hard if you're physically and mentally able and to earn money. And the foolish thing to do is to be lazy and to not work hard at all and just to expect resources and money to magically come our way. In Proverbs chapter 14, we find this. There is profit in hard work, but mere talk leads to poverty. Laziness brings poverty. Hard work makes one rich. A wise son harvests in the summer, but a disgraceful son sleeps right through the harvest. And I want you to see, this isn't saying that poverty is caused by laziness, that all people who are poor, they're that way because they're lazy. That's not what it says. And I would say that for a lot of people, that's actually not the case at all. But it does say that if you're lazy, if you're not working hard at all, and you're expecting money to just show up in your bank account, guess what? That's not going to happen. That's a foolish thing to expect. But instead, the wise thing to do is to work hard. And God wants you to use your talents, your abilities, and your skills to earn money in this world. And it's okay to earn money and to earn a lot of money. But you have to always remember that the purpose isn't just to accumulate more stuff and more wealth and a mansion for yourself. The purpose is so that you can use what you earn for God's greater good in this world. And so I don't want you to feel some kind of way about earning money. And practically, what I want you to do is I want to encourage you to don't be afraid to ask for a raise at work, right? Sometimes as Christians, we're like, I can't do that. That's, you know, no, that feels greedy. No, ask for a raise at work. That's okay. If you need to switch jobs financially because you're, not, you're struggling and you're, you're making it and you're trying to make it, it's okay to switch jobs 
because of finances. That's an okay thing to do. John Wesley, in a sermon on money, when he's talking about earning money, he says, look, this is a good and an important thing for us to do as Christians. But he does give a few caveats. He says, look, just don't do it at the expense of your health. You need to take time to rest and have a Sabbath. He says, don't do it at the expense of your neighbor and make money in unjust ways. He says, don't do it at the expense of your own soul. Don't do immoral things to make money. But he says, look, it's okay. So I want to encourage you to relieve yourself of any guilt, if you ever had any, for making money and to be okay with earning more. And now, one thing, if you feel like, you know what, I love my job. It's a match for where my gifts are and my graces, and I feel like God has placed me there. But you know what? You're still, you're still struggling. You're still surviving, maybe because you took on debt in the past. One practical step you can do is actually to earn money on the side. And our world makes it easier than ever to now earn money in, in many different ways. And one of the quickest ways is to simply sell some of your stuff, right? Anybody here do like the annual yard sale or garage sale? I mean, you don't see as many anymore, but, you know, you can do it just a classic annual yard sale, garage sale, or now on Facebook, right, you might get all these, I get notifications all the time for junk in our community that people are selling. But you know what? One person's junk is another person's treasure. I believe that. Amen? Emily's like, don't. Don't encourage them. I love, I love other people's junk. Um, but you know what? You can go on Facebook Marketplace. You can take a picture of that old thing. Sell it. Somebody will probably buy it. There's an app called Let Go. It's very simple. You let go of your stuff. It's easier than Craigslist. You just post a picture. People will come to you, get it, pay you cash for it. So you can get rid of some of your stuff. You can sell your stuff to earn money. Another way to earn money is to think about the skills that you have, the gifts that God has given you. Man, I don't know if you realize, you know what? People hate cutting their own grass. Did you know that? And some of y'all like grass and you have the equipment. You could cut your neighbor's grass. These days, families, I hear from families all the time, you know what? It is so hard to find a good babysitter. But a lot of y'all are good at babysitting, and you could get paid, and you could get connected to other people. Maybe you're able to tutor others. Maybe you're able to proofread or give music lessons. There are a lot of different skills that you have that you could actually use um, to earn more money. And then now this is the last thing I'm going to say, and now this is like the millennial in me coming out. But I don't know if you knew this, but through companies like Airbnb, you can actually rent out extra bedrooms and space in your home. And now that, some of y'all are like, that's crazy having strangers live in my home. But you know what's crazy is getting that check every month. And we actually have, are you okay with me saying this? Pushpa over here, she rents out a room in her house to people. She lives in Hampton. And every month, she's making hundreds of dollars from people who are coming there and who are using that extra bedroom. And now look, everybody's house isn't set up for that. But it's just an example of different ways you can earn more money. There's an app called Turo, where if you have a car sitting in your driveway, people can rent your car by the hour. Or by the day. Now that's scary for some of y'all. I know that. But I want to encourage you to be creative. To think the box of ways you could earn money. And actually at the Welcome Center on the way out, we have a little handout that lists a bunch of different ways to kind of get you thinking about, you know what, if I love my job, but I feel like I'm struggling and I need a little more income so I can save and do other things, meet some financial goals, that's a great place to start is to earn money. And now here's the problem is that most of us when we think about the steps of managing our money wisely, this is really where we stop. We say, you know what? I'm going to earn more money. And then one day I'm going to make the next step. Then one day I'm going to live generously once I get enough. And if you've ever told yourself that, you know that you never have enough. 
You, you keep wanting to accumulate more and more, and then you think, one day, then I'll, I'll do these next steps. But the Proverbs say this, that once you're earning money, the wise thing to do is to immediately start giving money away. So the first step is to earn, and the second step is to give. The Proverbs say this, that we are to honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. And then in Proverbs 11, it says this, Those who give generously receive more, but those who are stingy with what is appropriate will grow needy. Generous persons will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And now when the Proverbs talk about this, honoring the Lord with the first fruits of all your crops, that might seem uh, kind of anachronistic to us. But back in the day, before a lot of people were using liquid currency, that was their main source of income, of revenue, is these crops that they grew. And what people did in the Old Testament in obedience to God's command is they would take the first fruits of their crops and they would give them back to God as an offering, as an act of thanksgiving, saying to God, God, everything we have is yours, but I'm going to give you this portion. And then as, as currencies developed and that, those became more stream, people did the same thing. They began giving 10% of what they have to God. And now when it comes to tithing, I don't want anybody to think that tithing somehow earns God's love or earns God's favor, because that is certainly not the case. A tithe isn't something we do to earn anything from God. A tithe and any giving we do in the offering plate or, or with our time or with our lives or anything like that, all of that is in response to God's great love for us revealed in Jesus Christ. It's really, it's a finite response to the infinite and extravagant love of God. That, that's what giving is. That's what tithing is. And now last week, we, we kicked off what we're calling as a church the 90-day tithe challenge. Where as a church, we're, we're saying together to God, God, you know what? We recognize 100% of what we have is yours. But as a church in this season, we're going to act in faith and act in obedience and give 10% back to you. And now last week, um, you, you'll see this week again in the seat back in front of you, there's a little white card, a white response card. I'm, I invite you to take it out look at it. Last week, we invited people to fill those out if they were willing to take on this challenge and to step out in faith. And I want to let you know that I, I was so excited when I saw all the cards because we had an amazing response last week. We had an amazing response. Almost half of the families represented last week took some next step when it comes to giving. And as a church, we'd love to see 100% participation in this challenge. As we say to God, God, you know what? I know this is hard. I know this is scary. But for 90 days, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to step out in faith and see what happens. Because here's what we know as a church, and here's what I know personally. That as we step out in faith, God grows us. He grows us because one of the things about our money, Jesus says, is that money is closely tied with our hearts. And so when we give God our money, what we're really doing is we're giving him our hearts. And as we give him our hearts, he grows us closer to him. He grows us in faith. He grows us in trust. We grow closer to him. And now I know that, that some of you, right, when you read these passages from Proverbs, you know what? Those who give generously will receive more. They'll prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I know you, you might be reading those through the eyes of TV preachers. 
But when you look at the whole of Scripture, the Bible doesn't promise that if you give a dollar this morning that there's going to be $10 in your mailbox this afternoon. If that happens, let me know. We'll let you do a testimony. I'm not saying that's normative. God doesn't promise that if we're obedient and then we tithe and we give, that then he's going to give us perfect health and safety in this world. When we look at the New Testament, we actually see the opposite. We see that Christians oftentimes face adversity and challenges, but we do see this promise. We do see this promise that God will grow us. He will be with us, and he will bless us. And I've seen that in my own life, and we want that for you. And so I'd encourage you to take that card. Maybe you weren't here with us last week. Maybe you've been praying about it this week and you think, you know what? Okay, now I'm ready to take this next step. We want to challenge you to fill that card out. Put it in the offering plate when it comes around in a little bit. And if you're already tithing, we'd love for you to check that. Let us know as well so that we can celebrate with you. So as a church, we can go on this journey together. And I know some of you are thinking, you know what, Jonathan? I know you want that private jet and that airplane, but this is a little bit much. You know, just so we're clear, I never want a private jet, don't want an airplane, anything like that. I do love to fly, but I don't want my own jet. This isn't anything about that. This isn't about our church getting a new building or more equipment. It's not about that. This isn't about what we want from you. This is about what we want for you. And I know some of you, you're you're thinking, you know what? My faith in my heart is small. My understanding in my head is kind of small, and so I just don't know if I'm there yet. And I would just say this, to start somewhere, to start giving something, to begin moving in that direction, because a lot of things with our finances, it's, it's really about direction and intention. But so many of us are waiting on our incomes and our bank accounts and everything to get perfect before we do anything, and what happens is at the end of the day, we look back and we realize, you know what, I've been waiting years for my life to get in order so that I can give. And actually, over these years, I gave nothing. But God wants to bless you. God wants to grow you. And in all my years of ministry, I've never met with someone who is towards the end of their life. I've never met someone who said to me, you know what, Jonathan, I just regret giving as much as I did. You ever heard that? Anybody here ever heard that? You know what? I just should have kept more for myself. I just shouldn't have. I shouldn't have given to the church. I shouldn't have given all that time. I just regret that. No, actually, you hear the opposite. A lot of times, at the end of people's lives, they say, "You know what? I regret that I didn't start giving earlier. That I haven't been more generous throughout my life." One theologian said that, you know, in Christians we go through three conversions: the conversion of our heart the conversion of our mind, and then usually the last thing is the conversion of our wallet. And that's true. It can be hard. But I encourage you to step out in faith, start somewhere, begin to give. Join us in that 90-day tithe challenge. You will not regret it. You can fill out that card. But that's the second step is first to earn, then to give, and the third thing is to save, is to save. And the Proverbs tell us this. Precious treasure remains in the house of the wise, but the fool devours it. And in chapter 6, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Did you all know scripture uses words like that, lazy bones? So you can tell somebody you're being biblical if you call them that later, right? <laughs> take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince 
or governor or ruler to make them work. They labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. Say the way of the wise is to be like the ant. To work hard, to earn, to gather. But to not just use it all. To be like the ant and store some of it, save some of it, so that when winter comes, you're ready. And we've all experienced winters in our own lives. We all will experience different types of winters. But financially, I mean, this might look like paying off all the credit card bills from the amazing vacation you took on Henry County's fall break this last week, right? That might be your winter next month. Or it might be an unexpected medical bill paying the deductible. It might be some unexpected expense that comes up with your child. We're all going to have these things, and we know we're all going to have these things. And if we've saved, then when winter comes, we won't have to, as Proverbs say, be a slave to the lender through debt, because we'll be ready and we'll be prepared. And this, like all the steps here from Proverbs, this is easy to say, but it's often hard to do. It's hard to do because we live in the culture of now. Immediate gratification. We know what we want and we want to get it. And people will give it to us in this world, no matter if you have money or not. And so we want the upgrade of the car. We want the new iPhone. We want new clothing. We want all of this stuff. And so this is a hard step. I realize that. But just like giving with saving, I would encourage you, start somewhere. Start small if you need to. Save $20 a week. Save $100 a month. Maybe if you're in a better place, save $100 a week. Start small and over time, it will begin to grow and you'll get more used to saving money and it will become more natural to you. And you know what? If you feel like saving and all this kind of stuff is complicated and you're just overwhelmed even thinking about your finances, one of the best next steps I know is to join Al. Al Harmon's teaching our class tomorrow night. Al, raise your hand in the blue shirt. He's right over there. Go see him. He's teaching the classes starting tomorrow night. I was broken, now I'm not. And that class gives you practical steps on how to actually achieve these things, to not make it just wisdom in your head, but wisdom in your everyday life. It will teach you how to save, how to earn in different ways, how to invest, how to figure out a wise plan for your finances. So I would encourage you to take that next step. But beyond that, the other thing when it comes to saving is this, that I think one of the easiest ways to begin saving money if you're not currently or you want to save more is to simplify your lifestyle. It's to simplify your lifestyle. And the way you simplify your lifestyle is first facing the facts of of what you're spending and, and just looking at it. I mean, I know some people, you know what, you just get the credit card bill, make the minimum payment, don't even look at it. Don't even look and see how much you're spending, but then beyond just facing the facts of your normal expenditures, I would encourage you to find and stop the money leaks. The money leaks. And now money leaks are, are what I'm calling, and, and Thriven actually calls, those areas in our finances where we just spend very easily, kind of without thinking. And you know that now it's easier to spend money than ever with one-click buying and everything like that. But in our culture, one of the kind of newer innovations is subscription-based services. Because now, you know, it used to be you go to the tire place and you're like, $800 for tires? Like, that's crazy. I'll just risk my life and not get them, you know? Like, that's how it used to be. 
But now you're like, $800 for tires. And they're like, oh, you don't have to pay anything today. And they'll even give you 0% interest, right? Which is, which is awesome. They'll give you 0% interest and they'll say, you know what? You just pay monthly over the next 67 months for these tires. <laughs> and so you just add it, add it to your monthly expenses. And you don't think about it much. And then you add Netflix. Then you add Hulu. Then you add Pandora. Then you add, you know what, your, your phone monthly payment. And then maybe, I'm not going to ask to raise your hand if you still have a landline. Maybe you still have a landline and you're doing that. You have direct TV and you have satellite and cable. You have internet. You have all of these things, gym memberships. So many of us have so many subscriptions that are ongoing every month. And a lot of times, they're just automated. And so we're not even consciously spending this money. It's just leaking out of our bank accounts. And I would encourage you to find those things and to begin to ask yourself, do these really give me the value that I'm paying for? Because so many of us, we've just said it and forget it, and that's exactly what the companies want. And out at the Welcome Center, we actually have a little worksheet that will help you identify these types of subscriptions in your life. And to kind of analyze, you know what, is this valuable for me? And you know what, it's a very helpful thing, right? It's, it's helpful if you don't have savings to take the 0% financing on the tires. I'm not saying that's an unwise thing to do. But we want you to do it consciously. And Emily and I, as we've been, you know, we're newlyweds. We're trying to look at our finances and everything. We realize, you know, we have a number of subscriptions. And so we, we looked at one that we don't often think about is our insurance, right? Car, rental, all that kind of insurance. And what we realized was like, that seems kind of high. But you know what? It's set on auto pay. You just keep going. You don't want to deal with it. We're busy people. But we just made one phone call to the person who used to do my insurance because we went to her insurance agent when we got married. We made one phone call, and he said, send me over all the documents. And he gave us the exact same coverage for $150 less a month. 150 times 12 is a lot of money. And so we immediately can start saving that money or using it for, for debt or other things in our lives simply with one phone call. But for a while, we just weren't thinking about it. We were just kind of, you know what, paying it every month. So I would encourage you to take time to step back, look at these recurring expenses and these subscriptions, and ask yourself, do I really need that? Is this giving me value? Because, you know, I, I love my gym subscription for $40 a month. But the only value a lot of times it gives me is feeling good about myself even though I never go to the gym. But I feel like I could go there if I want to, right? I could go there if I want to, and so that's giving me value, but actually it's not doing anything if I'm not engaging it. But $40 times 12, that's close to $500 a year. And I don't know what those are for you, but I would challenge you to take a look. Begin thinking more deeply. And again, at the Welcome Center, we have those handouts. And now, once again, the wisdom and saving isn't so we can accumulate more stuff. The wise thing to do is not to hoard and to have a big bank account hidden somewhere. The reason why we save is ultimately so that we can be more free to live generously and more free to give to others and be free from debt and free from the stress every day of our finances. And then finally, after you earn, after you give, after you save, then spend. Do that last. And I'll just make this quick. You know, some very basic common principles. Spend less than you make. 
If you spend less than you make and you live within your means, your finances will be radically transformed. The second is to make a plan for your money. You decide where your money goes rather than letting bill collectors and everybody else decide for you. And there's a lot of great resources in the class. Once again, I was broke, now I'm not. It's going to have practical steps for a plan. Emily and I use an app called Every Dollar by Dave Ramsey. And you know what? You can go on there and you can make your digital budget because I don't want to deal with paper stuff, but that works for us. But make a plan for your money. And then finally, the third thing is this. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to do it on your own because that's what so many of us do as Americans, right? Here, it's, for a lot of us, it's even uncomfortable talking about money at all because for so many of us, it's a private thing that we want to keep to ourselves. And what happens then is a lot of people struggle financially and keep it to themselves and continue in these cycles when there are people who would love to help. And I can help connect you to those people. Al in the class can help connect you. Because one of my favorite proverbs is this. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Walk with the wise and grow wise. Don't try to do this on your own. Reach out, get help, don't struggle on your own. And we don't want you to have this wisdom and this financial freedom in your life so that you can keep up with the Joneses and so that you can, you know what, just feel more comfortable at the end of the day. We want you to grow more wise so ultimately you can reflect our wise Heavenly Father. We want you to live generously so that you can reflect our Heavenly Father who lives and who gives to us generously. Because after all, I mean, when you look at the Bible story, John 3.16, we know that verse, right? God so loved the world that he gave. He generously gave us his one and only son. And later in scripture, we find Paul say this, that though he, Jesus, was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. See, Jesus emptied himself even to death upon a cross. He left the riches of heaven and came into this world, to the very bottom of this world, so that you and I could experience his rich mercy and his rich grace. And Jesus wants for us to be wise and generous people so that we can reflect him to other people in the world around us. And I'll close with this story. And it's the story of Osceola McCarty, who was a woman who was wise and who reflected Jesus to everybody around her. And Osceola was born in the early 1900s in rural Mississippi. She was an African-American woman who grew up living with her grandmother and with her aunt. And growing up, they didn't have a lot of financial means, and her grandmother and her aunt, they, they washed clothes, they cleaned the houses, and they, they ironed for the white people in the community. And Osceola, when she was young, after school, she would go and she would help them out. So she would begin earning a little bit of money. And then when she was in sixth grade, she had to drop out of school so that she could help take care of her family. And so she began working full-time in people's homes as well, sometimes 12 and 16-hour days. And one day when she was going to town in her small town there, 
she saw the bank and she went inside and she opened up a bank account. She opened a bank account. She came home with her little check register. Y'all remember those? She came home with her check register and she showed it to her family and they were proud of her because nobody in her family had had a bank account before. And so she began earning and she began giving to her small Baptist church, Friendship Baptist. She began tithing each month and she began saving. She led a very simple life. She never owned a car. She would get her buggy and she would walk to the big star. And then she would bring her groceries home. She would catch rides to church with friends and neighbors. She didn't even have an air conditioner in her home until she was in her 70s and 80s. And she did all of this. And for most of her life, really the first 74 years of her life, nobody had ever heard of her besides her church friends and the people who she worked for. But then one day, word began to spread about Miss Osceola because she gave a $150,000 gift to the University of Southern Mississippi. And now it was kind of odd because she didn't go to the University of Southern Mississippi and she had never stepped foot on the campus of the University of Southern Mississippi. But as she got older and began to reflect on her life and look at her bank account, she said, you know what, I can't take all this with me, so I want to live generously. And so she sent a check for $150,000 to this university to set up a scholarship endowment for students who struggled financially so that they could have scholarships. And soon, word began to spread about this gift that she gave. And in one interview, she said this. When she was asked how she accumulated her money, she said, it wasn't hard. I didn't buy things I didn't need. And the Lord helped me. And he'll help you too. And over time, as she began doing more news stories, her article went out in the New York Times in the 90s. As her story began to spread, over 600 donors pulled together some money and they doubled that scholarship that she created. So now more and more students can have a chance for education. And then, Ted Turner heard her story. And Ted Turner said, you know what? Because of her inspiration and her generosity, she's inspired me to give away $1 billion. And so he gave away a billion dollars. And her gift has continued to give to generations of college students. She lived generously. She gave of herself. And as she did, she was a reflection of Jesus and the generous God that we serve. And you know what? She had wisdom. She had wisdom, which I think Solomon got right. That's really the one thing that each of us needs. And so as we close today, I want you to, to bow your heads. If you want to open up your hands in front of you in a posture of receiving, I invite you to do that. We just want to pray that God would pour out wisdom to us today. Almighty God, we thank you that you are a generous and a giving God. We thank you for every good gift that you've given to us in our lives. God, we recognize that we can't do it on our own. That we weren't created to do it on our own. What we need from you isn't necessarily more stuff. What we ultimately need is more wisdom. 
And so God, in your word, you tell us to ask, to seek, to knock, and that your Holy Spirit will pour out upon us the gifts that we need and that you desire for us to have. And so God, we ask this morning that you would pour out wisdom upon us as your people. God, that you would help us to be people who live wisely with our finances, with our time, with the talents that you've given us. God, with all of our resources. And God, we ask that not so that we would have more stuff for ourselves, but so that we could honor, glorify, and reflect you to a world that desperately needs you. So God, pour out wisdom upon us, and we thank you for that gift this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One, just a minute. Our ushers are going to come forward to receive our tithes and offerings, and if you want to sign up for the class, you can write that on the Connect card. Willing to take on the tithe challenge, you can turn that in, and you can give um, with the envelope or, or with the websites that are in your bulletin digitally in many other ways. But as you give...